Good evening, everyone. We're continuing the series of uh, Path to the Just, Mesilat Yisharim. Last week, uh, we were in chapter 19, speaking about Midat Hasidut. I explained that Midat Hasidut is above the mandatory requirements. There is what Hashem requests from the ordinary people, and they are the special people of every generation that wants to reach the highest level possible. So they have some different requirements from the public. And if a person wants to reach this level, then it's a whole different kind of requirements, which means even things that are allowed is more strict with himself. However, I explained last week that today, most of these things doesn't apply to ordinary people. I don't want people to get the wrong impression because today the level of the people, especially the Baalei Tshuva, people who recently became religious a year, two years ago, three years ago. So these kind of people, they jump to a level that is way not in their league. And what happened is after a year or two or three, then they collapse completely because they wanted to go to a level that it's way above their ability. And uh, some examples I can give that a person just became religious, he comes to learn an hour or two a day, or even if he join a yeshiva full time in the beginning, so right away after two, after three, four, five weeks, you see he's beginning to grow beard, and then all of a sudden he has big peot, and two months later he already have a black hat. And this person doesn't have foundation. You, don't, you cannot build a building if you don't have the foundation, it's solid. So really the problem is that some of these problems is the rabbi's fault. If the rabbi of that entity, that uh, is in, he has the authority, to tell people what to do, what not to do, somebody like him should stop them right away. Should call into his office and say, two years, I don't allow you any of the external extreme things. Stay the way you are. You have to put yamaka, it's the law. You want to put tzitzit, you put tzitzit. You start with tzitzit, it's the law. If you have four corners, it's the law. Tfilin, it's the law. Shabbat, it's the law. But there is a requirement. This is what the Shulchan Aruch say. More than that, now I'm not allowing you to do. That's really the right approach. They ask Rav Eliashiv this, which is Gdol Ador, the biggest rabbi in the world. We're not talking about just another rabbi. We're talking the biggest in the world. that learned about 100 years straight, from morning to night, all his life. They ask him, Rabbi Greenwald brings it in his book. He said that he asked him, how, what instruction we should give the Baalei Tshuva? And the answer was, I want you to publish in my name not to do any chumrot, not to do any extra, just to do the minimum requirements. Why? You add more and more and more. The foundation is not strong enough to carry. And in the end, when it comes to the most important mitzvot of the Torah, they don't have the strength anymore because they are so busy with things. So we find today, thank you, we, find, we found today that there are some people who after they become religious, they're only a few months. So what they do is, besides all the beard and everything, they decided that they want to go every day to the mikveh. Mikveh is a very good thing. It purifies the soul. There's no question about this. 
But the question is, what would happen if a person has to get up 40 minutes extra early, right, to come to the mikveh, and by the time he comes, by the time he finishes, by the time he comes to the prayer, after six months, he just doesn't have the strength because he doesn't have enough Torah, years of Torah, no holiness. And all of a sudden, this person feels that religion is so heavy, it's such a burden, and then he drops everything. So in the end, he doesn't keep Shabbat because he wanted to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in one week or one month. And this is, that, that's, that's a sign of wrong direction. This kind of people, not only you should not ask them to do extras, you should not let them do extras. There's a difference between ignoring what they do. I didn't tell him to grow a beard. I didn't tell him to go every day to the mikveh. So I, I told him, go for Shabbos. Shabbat, it's enough to for begin first year. Let's start with that. I, he goes every day. It's my problem? Yes, it's your problem. If you is rabbi in yeshiva, you have to stop him. Because for everyone who will be successful, there will be a hundred who will become secular again in the end. And this is an epidemic. Many people go, 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 boom, collapse. What happened? Where is the beard? Where is the PO disappeared? What happened to the Yamaka? Ah, Rabbi, I found out that, you know, it's not exactly the way I thought religion. I have a lot of questions. Of course, he doesn't have any questions. He doesn't have any questions. It was too heavy for him. You don't take a kid three, four years old and teach him Gemara. You don't teach him Zohar. You teach him how to wash his hand. You teach him what seats it is. You teach him how to make a bracha, what he eats. That's all. You don't, call, you, you don't go to first grade and teach people uh, Gemara with Marsha, you know. And nobody would do that things. But with the, today, with what's happening today in the world, we found, I see so many Balei Chua with no directions in life. Not to talk about all the marriage problems that it caused between them and their wife. What happened? The wife is not in yeshiva. So she just agreed to wear a skirt two, three, four weeks ago. She's just keeping Shabbat already a month or two. So finally, she started to move. All of a sudden, he grows a beard and long peot and comes to her with a big hat. That's not the guy she married. She just married him a year or two ago. She wanted him to look in a certain way. All of a sudden, this guy became the Rambam. And it caused problems in a marriage. So this is really not Hasidut. That's stupidity. If a person pretends he's a Hasid, and he's not even a beginner in religion, that's uh, illusion, stupidity. Really, there's no other word. That's why everyone who cares for the future of these people have to stop them before they lose control. And the next thing, you know what happened to these kind of people? After a few months, that they already look like big mekubalim. So now they already have criticism against people who learn all their life Torah. Yeah, so the next thing he don't like what this rabbi said, next thing he doesn't understand this rabbi, next thing he's making fun that that rabbi doesn't have a beard or had a beard. Already he thinks that everyone is below him. You know, I saw a story with a Saba from Slovotka. The Slovotka, the Slovotka Rebbe, that was in his yeshiva, one student that decided to accept Shabbat one hour before everyone. And it's been going on for a few weeks. And then he came to him and he said to him, tell me, isn't it true that when you see that everyone continue to do things after you're already keeping Shabbat, you started an hour before everyone, that they're all really making sins from the Torah? Don't you feel it? So he said to him, I tell you the truth, Rabbi, yeah. I don't understand why they wait until the last minute when Shabbat starts. They can't do it an hour before. 
So I told him immediately, you have to stop what you're doing. You have to stop when everyone stops. Immediately you have to stop it. Why? That's what happens to people who don't, don't have a strong foundation. When they do a few extra things and they feel already that they're very holy, not that they don't know any Torah, not that their traits, the midot, never change. It's still rotten and bad and negative. None of that changed. But the outside, you already look like a real important chacham. So that's also what happened here is he thinks that everyone is below him. Even though he's not one million from someone else that may not look as holy as him, but, you know, he thinks already, look, in two months I already did more than this uh, person. Why? Because he's judged like most of the people on the street, that they judge from the way a person looks. They don't understand you have to check inside, not what the outside is. You understand? And that's what happened to these people. Now there's another problem is that it caused Chilul Hashem. Why? He goes to places, people think it's a very important rabbi. And then they see he doesn't know simple halachot. He doesn't know how to pray, he doesn't know what to do in certain days. You, you, let, you ask him to pray, he makes mistakes. Things mamash like kindergarten. But he looks, ooh, wow, such an, people stand online to get a bracha from him because this is the way people are in this generation. It's all external. And this is chasidut shel shotim. This is chasidut of fools. Ramchal doesn't speak to us, to this kind of people. He speaks to real chasidim, to people who learn all their life Torah. They finish everything they can. They decided to work on themselves 100% to get rid of the pride, their ego, their desires. And it's a process that took many, many years. And then they reached such levels, so they moved into Hasidut, Midat Hasidut. But uh, to ask a person that just started, it's not today, especially today, when the world, what's happening out there in the world, makes the situation a million times worse. In the old days, everyone was modest, no electric, no electronic, no iPhone, no iPad, no laptops, no movies, no television, no cable, none of these Game Boys. How many desires people had? The only, the regular desires that most people have, some clothing, women, jewelry, maybe sport a little bit, that's really the desires they had to handle. Today, there's millions of other desires. You gotta raise children in this environment, you'll be too strict with them, in the end they run and they put movies on YouTube, atheists that were born religious. Not only that they leave the religion to justify their evil way, that they're not losers, so they try to put down the, the truth. The only way to justify me, myself, in public and to feel good about myself is to prove that all these rabbis and those who sit in yeshiva in 20 years and learn, they live in a lie. I am the smart one that I came out of there. You understand? One of the reasons that it happens is because their parents or their teachers put maybe too much on their shoulders. And you have to know who you're dealing with. Now, you cannot teach something general to a class of 30 kids. What do you expect, that everyone is in the same, in the same level? So you have to know which kid to do what with. And you cannot, just because they push to your class 30 kids, what do you expect, that all of them is in the same level? And you see right away in the neighborhood, you look at the kids, how they play. You see one of them is honest, straight, doesn't cheat, doesn't sore lose, respect. And the other one, every little thing, scream, cares, cry, fight, scratch. Or you can give them the same speech. He's in a, naturally in a much higher level than him. Yeah, they sit in the same class, they play together. 
but it's two different souls. And you gotta give every patient the, the treatment that he needs. For someone who has a heart condition, you don't worry about his nose that is a little bit crooked right now, right? You have to worry about the heart. You finish with the heart, you worry about the nose. You don't give them the same treatment. So I don't want people to get the wrong impression is just because we're learning. The reason we're learning it is only one reason. That we know that there is a truth out there that a person can reach, even in this generation. So yes, it's difficult. Yes, not that many people in the world get to this level. There's few in Yerushalayim, few in Bnei Brak, maybe in Mansi, maybe in Brooklyn, Queens. There's maybe few everywhere. You add them together, it's not that many. But this is the ultimate level, the highest level that a person can reach. So we spoke about, uh, you know, things between a man to man, things between man to God. We spoke about, uh, you know, someone who uh, is doing everything he can to help every person around him to make his life easier, which what we call kindness, chesed. We spoke about your friend is suffering, you participate with his suffering, you don't run and hide or enjoy your whiskey or wine when someone next door to you is crying or may not have food for Shabbat. So this is, uh, this is the minimum requirements to become a chassid. You cannot be a chassid and you know that your brother, your cousin, and this, they walk in the street and they marry goyot and they're not close to Hashem. They live in a lie and you do nothing about it. Because the part of being a chassid means to feel the pain of God for his children. In order for you to, to be a chassid, you have to live the pain of God, to feel it. The pain of your father, you don't feel the pain you're far away from being a chassid, right? And you will do everything that you can to remove this pain. And will put a lot of efforts and money and do everything you can to save whether it's a single individual, whether it's a, it's a group of people, right? And even something that right now it's not a direct damage, but eventually will be a damage, you'll still do everything you can to remove it. You will worry about the money of your friend just like you, like you worry about the money of yourself. If you are home and uh, in the middle of the night you're sleeping in a, upstairs and in a basement you know the light is on and it bothers you that the light will be, all the lights will be on for nothing. There's nobody in the basement all night. So you put your coat or whatever and you go down and you go two, 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 two flights down and you shut all the lights. So that's because you, it's costing you money. But if you sleep by your friend, your friend gave him you his house, and you sleep over there, he's not there, you're not worried about that. Okay, so the lights will stay on. Or you leave the house, you leave the air condition on. But in your house, you will even return back in to shut it. But in his house, okay, I'm not paying. Many people are righteous with other people's money. Sometimes it's even their parents. Many people are righteous with their own parents' money. But who, yeah, your father, your father is trying to be nice with you and your father is trying to give you what you need. But the question is, the question is, is that means that you have to take advantage on what your parents give you? No. I saw clearly in halacha that kids that force their parents to give them money that they don't want to give them, they're violating few sins from the Torah. Few, there's all kinds of violations involved here. So one more thing uh, is about respecting people. 
חסיד, you will never find him disrespect any human being. Not, no matter who he is, Jew, religious Jew, secular Jew, goy, anyone, male, female, young, old, respects every person. And he would try always to bring comfort to people, to make them happy in any way he can. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. There was one person in, in uh, Israel that he found out as an someone wants to sell his apartment, the value of the apartment in those days was $280,000. Because the person must sell it quick, automatically lower the price to two hundred. dollars It's a big reduction, you know. So he comes to see the place, and he's a businessman. He knows this place worth at least two eighty. dollars no question here. So he told him, why are you selling it for so cheap? Most people would play dumb. Okay, when can we close? Can, I, can my lawyer get the contract tomorrow? But he felt the pain of that Jew. He wanted to see what's going on. Why, why would he sell such a nice uh, house? He told him, I, have all, I owe money to people. I asked my rabbi what to do. The rabbi told me, sell the house, pay their bills, and with what's left, buy a smaller apartment and manage with what you have. That's it. You don't want to leave this world owing money to people. So that's the solution. So you ask him, he says, since my debt accumulate interest in this, I owe the bank, I owe here, I have to sell quick. I don't have that much time. So I, I, the only way I sell it in a week or two is by making such a low price. So he took his checkbook and he wrote to him a check for $200,000. And he said to him, I'm not buying your house, I'm giving you a loan. He didn't even know him. He came to buy his apartment. He said, I'm giving you a loan. I see you're such an honest person. You're willing to sell your house and pay what you owe people. How many people do it in these days? I know I won't lose. He gave him the thing. He made him sign a star that in case he doesn't pay, so the house is a collateral, whatever. He did all the, the necessary thing. And he gave him the money and he said, slowly, slowly, you pay me back. You understand? That's a chassid. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But how many people would do such thing? You know, most people, they are not uh, basically, they're, they're thinking about their own interest. And that's a very common problem. So, uh, you know, so if you know that your friend will get the pleasure from what you do and you try to do it for him to get the pleasure from it, that's midat chasidut. Of course, not to talk about make him upset break his heart, take advantage on him, deceive him, lashonara, uh, insulting him, etc. This is already mamash, a big violation. We're not going that far. This is obvious. We are talking now to do everything you can that people around you will be happy. And there's any way you can help them, you help them. Right? And that's called gemilut chasadim, that the chachamim, the sages, spoke about it so much and praised it so much, and explained to us how important in the eyes of God is to be a kind person, and that nobody will hate you. You know, sometimes you see the cruelty of people. It's hard to believe how people became so selfish and cruel. And if it's a person who grew up without Torah, so you understand at least where it comes from. That's the way it was raised. But sometimes you see from their own community, a person that grew up with a yamaka on his head all his life and even went to yeshiva and is such a selfish, cruel person, he doesn't care. 
you know, and uh, his best friend is in a hospital, it doesn't even bother him. Someone who's in a hospital, it doesn't bother him. But sometimes on the other end, you find people and in a most important holiday, they leave their house and family and they go to hospitals to worry about the sick people that maybe they didn't hear shofar in Rosh Hashanah. Hatzion, happens to you. I told that story a few times, people had tears. He was in a hospital after heart condition, alone in a hospital in the judgment day, Rosh Hashanah. He was, had tears in his eyes. He said, you know, now I'm here alone. I cannot hear shofar, no minyan, no nothing. Laying here with all these machines. How will I hear shofar? A few minutes later, one Hasid walked in. I asked him, are you Jewish? He said, yes. He said, did you hear shofar today? He said, no, not yet. And he blew the shofar for him. Understand, somebody like this, how many tragedies he saved from the nation of Israel? Instead of eating uh, lamb and uh, beef and enjoying the food in his house after long davening and resting, whatever, read a little Tehillim with his wife and children in air condition. He goes to some hospital, walking around, people, cars, hunking. No atmosphere of Yom Adin. Don't feel Rosh Hashanah in a hospital, the goyim come, smoking, cell phone, uh, announcement on the microphone. You lose the entire feeling of the holiday. But there's some Jews there, maybe they near shofar. You understand? That's how a person can get to a high level. Without Torah, it's almost impossible. Unless if you're born an angel. The Gemara says, Rabbi Zakai. The, the, the students of Rabbi Zakai, they ask him, Bame Rachtayamim, he lived 120 years, full life. It says, what, what was your, what's your secret that you lived such long life? He told him, he, he gave them a list of few things. I just want to focus on the one that is, apply, you know, is relating to what we say. It says to him, you know, I uh, never called my friend a bad name, ever. Never made fun of anyone, never made him a name that he may not like, you know. And so, so we find here that, uh, one more thing is same. I had an old mother. One time she sold a hat that she had and brought me wine for Kiddush. That's how poor people were, couldn't afford wine. You know, and so she went and sold some nice hat that she had, and she bought him wine to do Kiddush in a day, Kiddush Hayom. It's not Kiddush Alayla. It's not as important as the night. So it says the Ramchal, here you see Midat Hasidut. You know, to do such thing, more than the requirements. You don't have wine, you don't have wine, that's it. It was patur from the wine to Kiddush. Patur, you don't have anus rachmana patre. Hashem is forgiving, you understand? He knows, he's, he's the reason you don't have wine. <laughs> if you want, he give you extra money, have wine. Right now he doesn't give you money, he doesn't want you to have wine for whatever reason, it's a part of your test. So his mother didn't need to do it, but there was midat chasidut. She didn't want her son to miss one time Kiddush. The Gemara say, the students of Rabbi Preda ask him, wow, what made you live such long life? He told them, no one ever came before me to the synagogue, to the davening, to the prayers. 
I was always the first person, always. Not one time in my whole life that somebody came to the shul before me, you know? And, you know, there's the student of Rabbi Nechunia, they asked him, what made you live such long life? He told him, I was never happy that someone else had something bad happen to them, even his enemies, whatever. I, when someone had something bad, I suffered with him. And I was never happy in my heart. Oh, that guy also lost. I wasn't the only one who lost. Oh, that guy also is not going to get. So I'm not the only one. You know, so obviously we see it's all a matter of Hasidut. How you behave to become a human being. Rabbi Preda, you should know, the Gemara brings a story that he had a student that wasn't the smartest in the world. And, uh, and the student, what happened is, is every day was teaching him 400 times, 400 times uh, the, the page of the Gemara. And one time he came and he said to him, listen, today I'm in a rush. I have an important business meeting. Please try to understand in 300 times, maybe, not 400 times. So the, by the end, of, he finished 400 times. He said to the student, okay. I say, all right, but at least you understand. He say, no, to tell you the truth, today I didn't understand anything. Every day by 400 times I understand, but today I don't understand anything. I didn't understand. I say, why? Today when I need you to learn faster, I ask you to focus. Now today you're worse than every day? He told him, from the minute you told me I want you to be focused because I have a business meeting, my brain froze. You know the people that you put them under pressure, their brain doesn't work anymore from the pressure. So he says, okay, forget about the business meeting. I'm not going. Let's start from the beginning. This was a person that, this is what he did, the Gemara brings it. And here, they ask him, what made you live long life? He didn't even mention this. I was teaching this student all, for years, every day, 400 times. You know, one person in the world can teach someone 400 times, his own children, he can, three times he can teach them. You don't understand? You sure you're my son? You look like your mother's side. You know, you're not like our side. You know all the comments that parents made? So, they ask Rabbi Zera, how did you live long life? He said, I never got upset at my family members, my wife and children, never even once in my whole life, never. I never was strict with them. I didn't put pressure on them, nothing. I never walked in front of someone I knew is greater than me in Torah. I always walked behind him. And I never walked four steps without feeling on my head all my life. Four steps, one, two, three, four, without feeling, he never walked. Always had feeling. He went to sleep, he takes the feeling off. He goes to the bathroom, he takes it off. You don't walk over there, you sit. Or you sleep, it's no problem. But to walk, always with feeling. I never slept in Beta Midrash, in the yeshiva. I was there from morning to night all my life. I never slept there even one minute, ever put my head down and slept. Then people tired, they fall asleep. They put their head down 10, 15 minutes. It refreshed them and they go back to better learning. But he said that he never slept in a yeshiva once in his life. And one more thing. Never ever I was happy when someone lost or had any embarrassment. Never. 
I was always upset for them. So what do we see so far? That to be Hasid, it's not only between you and Hashem. It's between you and people. See, that's all the examples that the Gemara gives. The Gemara didn't bring any example, I kept Shabbat like this. Tfilin, yes. Tfilin, mitzvah from the Torah. So that's one example of between a person to Hashem. But all the other examples, it's between men to men. So the Ramchal say, what is it Gemilut Hasadim? Gemilut Hasadim is a very important thing for a Hasid. Without it, you cannot be a Hasid. You know the whole Torah, you learn non-stop Torah, but you don't do any act of kindness to people, to your environment, to your society, to your family, to, your fa- to friends, neighbors, etc. Then you obviously have a problem because you cannot be called a Hasid when you have this problem. Hasid comes from the word chesed. No chesed, no chasid. Chazal say in Pirkei Avot, the world is standing on three pillars, three foundation pillars. One of them is Gmilut Chasadim. Torah, Avodah, and Gmilut Chasadim. Torah, we all know what Torah is, learning Torah. Avodah, it's the sacrifices, and today the prayers. And Gmilut Chasadim is kindness, kindness, visiting the sick. Help going to to uh, to be mashlim inyan in a funeral, uh, helping a burial of a dead body, helping the poor, helping uh, sending boxes to poor families, helping the widow. Someone sent me today a text. Do you know an, do you know a convert, and do you know a widow that I can give money before Pesach? Smart person. He doesn't know, so he thought to himself, who would know? The rabbis, public people, they know a lot of people that come to them for the problem. So I gave him two people, two telephone numbers. One of them already called me. They, you know, she, was, she thought that it's a scam. She couldn't believe that somebody would care about her, not knowing her, calling her to want to give her money. So she called to verify to me. She texted, I can show you the text. Did you give my number to such and such person? People can't even believe that someone can just do an act of pure chesed, kindness. And then after I say yes, you should see how many thanks she sent. Don't even know how much she gave her, but it doesn't really matter. Sometimes it can be even $50, which how much you can buy from it. Few matzot, five, six matzot. For Yom Tov, it's already $50. But it's not really the money, like thinking, oh, there are people who still think about miserable people like us, whether it's a widow, Today, there's another epidemic. There's a lot of divorced women with children that their husband is alive, but left them and neglected them completely. He ran somewhere, he lives with another woman, or he went overseas, forgot that he has a wife and children. So wife, he hates her, he got divorced, so he feels great about torturing her. But what about his own kids? Worse than a crow. Even a crow is not as cruel to his kids like this person. And you know what's the sad part is? That these fathers will have such a serious punishment when they come in front of Hashem for not taking care of their own children. Because if you don't help strangers, Hashem still punish you. You could help strangers, Jews, that are strangers to you. But you know there's a family of a need. You know someone who cannot send his kid to yeshiva. And you could afford to help them and you didn't help. You are subject to a punishment. It's needless to say your own children. You neglect your own children? 
What, uh, what do you expect, to get away with that? And every hour, every hour, it's a scene. Every minute it's a scene. Because the needs of these children doesn't end. It's not something that they need once a week. They need every hour. They need a father, they need support, they need money, they need to pay the bills. And what happens if the father doesn't have? He has an obligation to go and collect tzedakah and give it to his divorcee and to the children. You don't trust her? Buy the children what they need. There's no excuses, really. You understand? So this is what's happening. <coughs> Sometimes people use the children to punish their ex-wife. Why the children has to suffer because for supposedly your ex-wife wasn't a good person, right? And even if she wasn't a good person, fine, you got divorced, you get it over with. What's the point of continue to torture and take revenge? This is what you want Hashem to do to you for your sins? It's all anyway measure for measure. Someone was not good with you. She did something horrible, she insulted you, whatever it was, she cheated on you, whatever you want to say. Finally, now you're out of it, you got divorced, you separated, you reached some kind of an agreement. What's the point of continuing with this torture? Well, no problem. You want to go your way, you do your way. What's going to happen in the end? You come in front of Hashem, you begin to cry for your sins. Help me out, help me out. Hashem says, I can help you. No mercy on you, I'm sorry. You didn't have mercy on your ex-wife, you left her, the children, this. Why should we have mercy on you? Don't you understand? I wrote in the Torah, it's all measure for measure. Someone who have mercy for the public, Hashem has mercy on him, Chazal said. It's in the Gemara. Amrachem al abriot, merachamim alav min hashamayim. The only way you get mercy from God is if you have mercy on people. You don't have mercy on anyone, don't expect mercy. So the Gemara says in Masechet Pea that there are a few things that a person that does it eats from the fruit of the mitzvot already in this world. One of them is gmilut chasadim, that a person already benefits in this life, whether he gets wealth or he gets saved from money losses or from tragedies. That means eat from the fruit in this world. And the actual reward, the main reward, is waiting for the life of eternity. Also, the Gemara in Masechet Sotah say, Darash Rabbi Simlai, Rabbi Simlai says, Torah, the Torah starts with gmilut chasadim, an act of kindness. And the end of it is act of kindness, right? So the Torah starts right away with kindness, with chesed, and finish with chesed. And also the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot say, Darash Rava, someone with three major traits, then it's a high chance that he's from descendants of Abraham. What is it? Has mercy, is a merciful human being. You see people suffer, he has tears in his eyes. He cannot go on to dance now when he saw a tragedy happen. He read a bad letter today. He, uh, five kids got burned, and he has a wedding that night. He cannot celebrate. He said, he cannot. That's it. He is crushed from what happened, even though he doesn't know them. doesn't matter. He just knows someone's life was destroyed. The kids got destroyed. Everything got destroyed. And you have two hours wedding, and he can go and dance. It's a problem. So that's one sign. Merciful. Then also Baishanim. Shy. Not arrogant. Shy doesn't mean don't have confidence to talk. No. It's full of confidence. Very smart, brilliant, charismatic. But still have a nice amount of embarrassment. Shy. 
people give him too much credit, he, got, he get red. Why? He's embarrassed. He's not feeling comfortable that people praise him. You know, they announce his name on a microphone. He, his face looks like a tomato, you know? Or if he gets an aliyah and everyone writes for him, so he doesn't feel comfortable about it. That's called shy. Shy also, when he looks to people, he puts his eyes down. That's a sign of a person being shy. Gomel chasadim means giving kindness, doing kindness for people we already spoke about. It. So there are three signs, shy, merciful, and kind. If you don't have the three, check again in your descendants, in your history. Maybe one of your grand-grand-grandmother wasn't a Jew. Today, we find many Gentiles that have the three. They have, they're shy, they're full of kindness, and they're also merciful. Also possible they are Jewish. You know how many millions of Gentiles out there are Jews and they don't know it? Spain, Portugal, United States, Europe, Russia, they don't even know it. Especially in South America. Over there, plenty. Mamash, really a lot. They made a check, they checked the genes of uh, the Spanish Jews, Jews from Spain and Jews from, uh, from uh, Portugal. One out of ten have Jewish genes. Doesn't mean they have a Jewish soul. They have Jewish genes, which means in their grandparents' list, at least one was Jewish. It could be the grandmother. If the grandfather is, it doesn't help them anything. But if the grand, one of the grandmothers was Jewish, very possible they have a Jewish soul. And they're not even aware of it. So, three things. Gmilut chasadim is greater than charity. Gmilut chasadim is act of kindness. It's greater than giving someone donation. You have a friend. He doesn't have a job. He's unemployed. And uh, you, you, you know now the holiday's coming, so you put $1,000 in the envelope and you give it to him, here, buy something. That's a very good thing. It's called tzedakah. Tzedakah is a great thing. Charity. But sometimes milut chasanim is better, which means if you bring him the food cooked already, you actually contribute it from your own time and this, and you prepare it and you send them everything ready, the chicken, the rice, whatever, it's already not only, it's not only donation, it's called gemilut chasadim. Or you send your kids to help his wife to clean the whole house because she cannot afford a cleaning lady. So you teach your kids how to be, you know, to volunteers to good things. And you even give your children some money sometimes to make them, encourage them to go do a good job. Go help them do this, take the garbages, help them take all the garbage to the street, help them to clean the car, whatever. Help them to clean the chametz from the clothes, from the, from, the, from the kitchen. So you're helping him sometimes better than actually giving him the money. Why? Because when you give him the money, he's embarrassed. The poor person that you give him the money in his face is embarrassed. Yeah, he's very happy that finally Hashem sent him money with a good messenger, but he cannot avoid the embarrassment. But Milut Hasadim sometimes is not so embarrassing. Why? Because it's not as I'm receiving money like a beggar on the street. It's not. And plus, the main reason why it's greater is because money, it's only, uh, charity is only with your money. Gemilut chasadim is with your money and with your body to participate in a mitzvah. Your body and your money, which is your time. Money, you know, we all understand it takes X amount of time to get this money. Tzedakah, charity, is only to the poor people. 
rich person not allowed to receive charity or donation. If he has enough to live, if someone comes offer him help, he should say, no, I'm okay. Or what are you taking? They give you, they don't give to the poor. In a way, indirectly, you steal from the people who really needs. So you're not allowed. The Gemara says someone who doesn't need charity and takes guarantee to die when he needs. He won't die before he will really need charity. Even though he has now, but he takes, he will die from this world in a need of charity for people to give him. Measure for measure. Oh, you, you pretend, you claim that you, you need charity and you don't really need? Don't worry. 20 years from now you will need. Before you leave the world, I'll make you need. Why? Because you claim that you need. Okay, no problem. We'll go your way. I'll give you another example. You know, everyone asks until today why Hashem did what He did to the people of Gush Katif. All the religious Jews, they went to live in Israel next to Gaza over there. It's a holy land. You know, some of our sages live there. Shimshon, the prophet, lived there. So they live there. It's 100% Eretz Israel over there. So they lived over there. And uh, one day, prime minister, so of course it's not the prime minister, it's the real prime minister, decided that 11 cities, they all get vacant. All the Gushkatif, the ladders, the farmers, all the farms that they had, everything, the Palestinian terrorists took everything, the Hamas. So they're all over there. They had to clean synagogues from there, they clean houses. People were slaying on the street, they were beating them up, or they came with horses. It looked like Nazi Germany, how they cleaned the people from their homes. And until today, many of them are very depressed. Some of them still live in caravans. They never got a replacement home. The government promised, and in the end, most of them got nothing. Many, many of them became mentally sick. Their life was destroyed. Family broke. It's a horrible thing. It take a person out of his home. He build everything, the farm, you throw him in a caravan or three, four weeks in some motel at nine people in a room. No, the world didn't see the suffering of these people. Why? Some deal they made with the United States and they gave it back to them. But the point is, why did it happen to them? After all, they were all Shomer Shabbat. They put filin, their women is modest, they learn Torah, they have yeshivot, they give tzedakah. A lot of them are great people. Almost every one of them I ever met in my life was extremely quality, good quality people. So why did it happen to them? So I heard one time one rabbi say that and it triggered my attention. He said, for years they told them you have to give masrot from, the, from, the, from the, what you grow, grapes, leather, whatever you grow over there, you have to give 10%. You know, because it's Eretz Israel, it's the Holy Land, Trumot and Masrot. So they used to say, no, it's not Eretz Israel. It's like Machloket. No, no, we don't have to. It's not Eretz Israel. And Shem said, ah, it's not Eretz Israel, you don't want to give 10%? No problem. It's not Eretz Israel, you don't belong there. He got them out. It's his Eretz Israel, of course. But to get away with giving, they ended up writing their own decree. You understand what happened? It's not only them, it's us every second, ma. Everything comes out of your mouth. Tomorrow become your judgment. 99.9% of what we're going to be judged with is what came out of our mouth. Look at this person. Look how he behaved. You behave the same. Whatever you wanted to happen to him, Hashem does to you. Look at his wife. Look, she's not modest. 
your wife is better? If yes, okay. If not, you're going to get punished more than her. Why? Why are you talking about her when you have problem with your own wife? You understand? So, uh, a, of course, we can give many examples. So, gmilut chasadim, charity is only for poor people. Gmilut chasadim, also for rich people. If a rich person got stuck, his car didn't start, and you drove him somewhere. That's permitted. He's allowed to get the ride. You went out of your way, you gave him a ride. He's a rich person. That's very good. You can do it to a poor, you can do it to a rich. But charity only to poor. Okay, tzedakah is only to living people. Tzedakah, you can, charity, you can only give someone who's alive. There's no charity if someone is laying in a grave already. But gmilut chasadim, whether he's alive, whether he's dead, it still counts. Even when he died, to bury him, it's also gmilut chasadim. To make him a nice grave is gmilut chasadim. You understand? Uh, you, can start, you can sometimes go and pay something that he owe after he died to save the family the embarrassment. That's a kindness that you do with a dead person, right? If you know something about him, you respect him, so you don't publish it. Uh, just two weeks ago, when they murdered the, the Arab murdered the Jews in Toulouse, in France, so he took pictures of everything that he did, and they were about to publish it in all the, the media. So the president of France spoke and said, no, no newspaper or television station should show those horrible scenes. Out of dignity to the dead body, to the, to the dead people. Surprisingly, there's thousands of television stations who would put their hand on it. You know, it goes to one, it goes to everyone after. Not one, not one of them published the pictures. And you know how thirsty and hungry they are for raiding. Very interesting. Why? It's also Hashem's decision. Hashem wanted these, these innocent people to have dignity, not to show their bodies all over the world. And he prevented it. But the president of France earned a big mitzvah. Say a few words. And they, out of respect to him, supposedly, I think that's the reason they, they listen. You know, and he, and he, and he did gmilut chasadim with the dead. The goy that did gemilut chasadim to dead Jews, right? So this is called gemilut chasadim also to the deceased people. Also, the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, page 151, say, If you are merciful, Hashem has mercy on you. You have mercy, Hashem will give you mercy. Kol amrachem ala briot, someone who has mercy on the people, merachamim alav min ha-shamayim. Why? Because everything that God does is measure for measure, everything. And someone who has mercy and do kindness with the people, when he comes to God, to his judgment, bedin, the, the court of heaven, will have mercy on him and forgive many of his sins. Why? Because he forgave people who did bad to him. How come you speak to this person? Isn't he the one who stole all your money? Yeah, I forgive him. Oh, you forgive him? So if you are a thief, Hashem say, you know, when people stole from you, you forgave them, right? And you even stay their friends and sometimes even help them. And you didn't say Lashon Ara about them even when you can and you can make them a big damage by saying a few things that they did to you, but you didn't say. And now you're really guilty of this and this and that. And now I'm going to be very merciful with you. Here, come and see what another person who did the same like you, what he got. And come and see what you got. Then you'll feel great. Wow. 
It was worth it. What did I get by hating him? Did I get my money back? No. Did I get my happiness back? No. It was a pure act of chesed, mm-hmm. kindness. And Hashem said, Midah keneged Midah. You really deserve a big punishment. How can I punish you? You forgive him and him and her and this and that. You're always forgiving, forgiving. You're not holding any grouch against people who did bad to you. I got to be lenient with you. There's no choice. Midah keneged Midah, measure for measure. Who is the one who can resist in the judgment of God? If God will be angry at you in the judgment day, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Make up lies, like in a court here? Hey, Your Honor, you know, I'm donating to here, I'm donating to there. Yeah, you know the judge doesn't know what you do. If I stand in front of Hashem, what are you going to say? Oh, I built a synagogue. You're going to get your punishment double for your lies. What are you going to do over there? And even the, fi- the few times that you did something for others, Hashem will show you that you did for yourself, not for them. Either people, you wanted to impress someone. Sometimes, I'll give you an example. Sometimes a person is very stingy. Doesn't give to poor people who come, never. Now he went on a date. He wanted to ma- get married to this girl. And a poor person came to him when he's sitting in a restaurant, and he went like this, he gave him $20. He didn't do it for him. He did it for his shiduch. Okay. You understand? <laughs> so, so now he comes and says, Hey, Hashem, how come you say I never gave tzedakah? Hashem said, When did you give tzedakah? I said, hey, Remember that poor person came in a restaurant? He went like this. I gave him 20 No one gave, everyone gave him a quarter, a dollar. He gave him $20. And said, so You gave him $20? You gave $20 for yourself. For yourself. If he you, if you needed to give $2,000, you give $2,000. Even if he's your biggest enemy, we give him. Why? You want to impress the girl. Understand? That's not a tzedakah. Ah, so, now, one more thing. The Ramchal continues. It's like David Amelech, King David, used to pray. He said, don't bring your servant in your trial, in your judgment. Because no one, no one will be fully righteous in front of you. No, no creature, no one. And... Also, the rule is, the more chesed you do, the more chesed Hashem will do for you. It's not ending in a certain point. You do more, you get more. You do more, you get even more. You do more, you get even more. It's not, there's no limit. So the more you do, you're preparing a defense strategy to your judgment day. Then when you're going to be calm and say, all of a sudden the angel is going to come and say, objection, your honor, what's going on here? How do you want to send him 200 years in Gehenom, in hell? Look what he did, look what he did. Look, okay, take 10 years, take five more years, take three more years, take 30 years. Eh? In the end, six months. Somebody came to me a few days ago. Actually, two days, yesterday. You know, my lecture came to me on the street after I finished the lecture. He said to me, listen, I did, I did this and that. They want to send me in two years in prison. But my lawyer said that he can work it out. It's going to be only 90 days. So I told him, grab it. So he looked at me and said, 90 days in prison? I said, what's better, two years? Grab the deal. And I told him, don't worry. The 90 days over there will make you a human being. Will teach you how to become a tzaddik, not to do what you did. Say, sure? I said, yeah. I said, the Gaon Mivina was in jail even though he was innocent. 
the first Lubavitcher Rebbe was in jail, he was innocent. Many of the rabbis in the Gemara, they went to jail, the Romans, this, that, Rabbi Akiva was in jail. Rabbi Akiva was uh, guilty, the, the greatest Jew ever lived, Rabbi Akiva. He was in jail, he was an old man. They put an old man, 120 years old in jail, these cruel Romans. You know the Gemara that his student used to bring him water every day? One time the guard kicked the water. He said, you're bringing too much water to your rabbi. So by the time he picked it up, half of it spilled. And the, the reason he was bringing him water is one, to wash his hand for the little that he eats. And the other one is to drink. A person needs to drink. After 40 years, a person has to drink a lot. Up to 40 years, he drinks normal. And he can, he can, he, once he reaches 40 years old, he has to, to eat very little, because now we know metabolism, we know today that after 40, but this is in the Gemara. The Gemara says up to 40, he can eat a lot and doesn't have to drink a lot. Drink normal. After 40, the other way around. Eat very little, keep your stomach as empty as possible, and drink a lot. Why? It's making the system work better. So Rabbi Akiva is not 40, three times 40. 120, he needs to drink. So he kicked it. So now he brings it to his rabbi. What took you so long, he said. Hey, what happened with the guard? So he saw it, he takes the little water that left and he washed his hand. Even though if you don't have water, you can eat bread without netilat yadayim. All you have to do is not to touch the bread with your hands. So if you have your sleeves, you hold it with the sleeves. You have a napkin, something, a bag, whatever, you hold it with a bag. You don't have, you don't have water, you don't have water. You're in jail, no? So he could have drank the water and eat the bread without Netilati Adaim. But he said to him, why, Rabbi, why you wasted the money on Netilati Adaim when you need to drink? It's more important. He said, what can I do? My friends made a law that you must wash your hands before you eat bread. I'm not going to go against the word. And he was the biggest chacham, the biggest. Soon we're going to read the, the Agadah in Pesach, Friday night. Five, four days from now, five days from now. Friday night, you're going to get to the Agadah that it's, there was five chachamim sitting in Bnei Brak. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, who was there? Rabban, uh, Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Akiva, no, not Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Tarfon, five Chachamim, there's five Chachamim all together. All of them Tanaim, Tanaim is the highest level of rabbis that we had. So who was the youngest one? Rabbi Akiva was the youngest, besides Rabbi Lazar bin Azariah, which was 18 years old, special thing, he became a president in age 18, but Rabbi Akiva was a Baal Tshuva and the youngest out of all of them. All the other ones were greater than him. In much many years, they learned more Torah. So imagine now that, let's say, a person that is Baal Tshuva learned 10 years Torah in Yeshiva, let's say. And Rabbi Ovadia, and Rabbi Kanievsky, and Rabbi Steinman, and uh, Rabbi Wozner, they all came to be with this, you know, young man that is 10 years Baal Tshuva. Up to age 40, was in a disco taking care of the horses, didn't know alphabet. So now he's in yeshiva, 10, 20 years, whatever he was learning. They all came to sit with him in Lela Seder, and they were sitting and learning all night until the morning. So I said yesterday in my lecture about Pesach, 
Today, not only nobody would go to, to do seder with him. Ah, it's kashrut. Wow, who is he going by? Forget it. It's not safe. Today, he wouldn't make it to any yeshiva. Today, if you're 40 years old and you want to join the yeshiva, right away, they look at you like you're something crazy. What happened to this guy? Why he wants to come to yeshiva when he's 40? Tell me, you're married? You're not married? Oh, they even suspect more. How do I know? So many times I wanted to get these people to yeshiva. Nobody wants to accept them. Well, if they rent a place and they live by themselves and they only come and learn, we check if they're normal, okay, we'll let them learn. Right? They're afraid, you know. But Rabbi Akiva, age 40, started, became a legend. I say, if he would come today, they wouldn't let him in. Say, so, right, descendants of converts, 40 years old, doesn't know alphabet. Imagine 40 years old come to pre-1A, to any yeshiva here. Shalom, Rabbi, I brought my son. Where is your son? 40 years old man. <laughs> you know, you have to teach him alphabet. No, he doesn't belong here. So basically today, somebody like this doesn't really have a place to learn. It's very difficult. Yeah, you have some money, you hire someone. He's lucky he wasn't in our time, Rabbi Akiva. We would miss, Rabbi, we would miss such a giant chacham. So, uh, one thing about Rabbi Akiva, that the daughter of Kalba Savua, Rachel, she was a princess. Her father is the richest guy in the land. Plus, he's also a big chacham. He wasn't just a businessman. He knew Torah. So you're the daughter of the richest guy in Israel. You have everything you can. Thousands of guys would die to be your, to your husband. The best students from the best yeshivot. And who you you choosing? Four years old men. Some say divorce with a kid. Yes, no, I don't know. But four years old, analphabet, doesn't know alphabet. Cleaning the horses of your father. Imagine now the daughter of, uh, I don't know, Bill Gates come to her father and she say, I wanna, she's 20, she want to marry the driver who cleaned the limo, like this with a sponge from morning to night, he stand on the street, you know, like this. And the driver never went to school, no, no diploma, no nothing. He doesn't know how to write in English. To, all he knows is to, to ride a car, to drive a car in the old days, to ride a horse or to clean the horses. What would he say? You want to destroy me? You're going to destroy our reputation. So why did she choose him? Because he had what we talked about. She saw that he has good midot, good personality. Today we forgot that good personality comes even before knowledge in Torah. Today they judge a person first how much Torah he knows. What about his ego? What about his anger? What about his selfishness? What about, ah, that's not, not as critical. We'll, we'll manage. Rabbi, everyone is like this. So, you know, as long as he knows Torah, he knows what to talk about. But what about his uh, rotten uh, personality? It's not so critical anymore. So the Ramchal continues, the Ramchal says like this, listen good. The rule is that a person should not upset any human being. Doesn't matter, Jew, any human being, ever. Even animals. Even a cat on the street, a mouse, a scroll, whatever you find on the street. The Torah says, it's in Mishlei, King Solomon, Mishlei 12. Yodea tzadik nefesh behemto. 
A righteous person knows he feels the feeling of his animal. Nefesh beemto. If he has a donkey, he knows if his donkey upset now, cold, hot, hard for him, drank enough, didn't drink, he's hungry, he needs his female, whatever he needs. Animals have their needs. Desire, needs, whatever. So a righteous person, you never find him that is not aware of the needs of his animals, whether he has one animal, whether he has a thousand. He always with his, with his finger on the pulse to check what my dog needs, what my cow needs, what my sheep needs, everything that I own. If they got their food, they didn't get their food, always they think about the needs of their animals. And the Torah says when you sit to eat, you make sure first you feed your animals, then you feed yourself. So, if you have to be careful and have, be sensitive about animals, animals, it's needless to say about people, no? Plus, it says like this, being a merciful person and benefit other has to be an integral part of your soul. It has to become your entire nature that you don't know any other way. And always, always, always to make sure to be very careful not to cause any sorrow directly or indirectly. Now the Ramchal says there are two ways. One is the Ira, one is the Ava. Fearing God and loving God. The rule of Ira, of fearing, first to surrender in front of him all the time. Never to be arrogant with God. Even if sometimes you're arrogant with people, you forgot who you are. With God, you cannot even do it once in your life. You never, you have to always surrender to him. Whatever happened to you, whatever happened to you, you have to always say you're right and I'm wrong. Today, people think they know better than God what they deserve. Why do I deserve it? It's not fair. Why God is so strict with me? Why he did this? Why he did that to him? It's not fair. There's no justice. All these words are very dangerous. Also, to be always embarrassed and close to his service, services. The honor, honoring God, is by keeping his mitzvot in the best way possible. There are two kinds of mitzvot observance. Are people who keep the commandments. One does it with all his heart and all his money in the most beautiful way. And one just do it because he has to do it and there's no choice. But it shows you that it's a real burden for him. See right away. You see it in a shul every morning. Some people really come to pray and they do it 100%. Some people all every five minutes know when it's going to be over already. So if you want to let somebody to be the chazan that is davening a little bit slow, they go crazy. No, no, you give these guys express. Oh, one, two, three, it's finished. Right? So you see, sometimes you wonder, why does he come to pray, Bechlan? If it's so bad, maybe it's better not to pray. Coming in front of a judge and showing him that you're dying to get rid of his request, sometimes it's better than not to show up. Don't show up, you get a punishment, you get a fine, fine. You come in his face, show him, just leave me alone, just, okay, let me just do it, get rid of what you want. I don't know which one is worse. So it says like this, so you have to be zealous to a God. When people do things against him, it has to hurt you. Not only when you do something wrong and you're embarrassed and you're upset. For other people, what they do also, 
Also, you always have to be happy, stick to him. And it says like this, that's the parts of love. What about the parts of fear? First of all, it's called irat aromimut. That a person, when he pray, he always have to first remember who am I praying in front of. Just to come to begin to pray without thinking first, I'm standing in front of the king of universe, the king of all kings, master of universe, without thinking about it. You're not, doing, you're not fulfilling your obligation correctly. First thing before you start praying, Hashem Sfatai Tiftach, who am I standing in front of? You come right away from your business, right into the shul, breaking in, and right away like a robot, begin to say words. That's not really respectable. You have to stand. I'm standing in front of you, God. You have to clean my, my minds, my thoughts. And this is it. And it's five minutes, ten minutes, but 100% to focus. And then it says like this. There are three things that a person has to pay attention to and check very carefully to reach this level of fear. One is that he's standing directly, mamash, face to face in front of the creator of the world. He may not see him, but he has to feel his presence. Second, he has to look at how low is the humankind. How low? You know, like, who am I? Who am I thinking I am? That I think that he owes me anything or things like this. So there's nothing even to talk about. And also, it's also he has to think about the scenes that he did all his life. I'm so lucky that I had the merit to even open my mouth and talk to you after all what I've done. Uh, not only you don't owe me, if you think like this, then he has a chance that he's going to give you what you want. Some people come, it's already three weeks, I'm praying and you don't answering me, you're getting on my nerve. What's going on here? You know, uh, how many times you want me to pray? You don't want, don't give, don't do me a favor. That's how they come with this kind of approach. Gotta come as a, a zero, dust in the wind. That's how King David did. Avraham Avinu. It's in the Tanakh. I'm a, I'm a worm. I'm dust in the wind. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. What am I? I can't even find myself a title. What am I? The fact that I'm standing in front of you, you allow me to talk to you and tell you what I feel and what I need. Just that alone, even if you never listen to me. Just that you accept me into your office to talk to me a word or two, it's already enough. Dayenu. Don't give me anything, it's okay. Just that you let me talk to you, it's Dayenu. And this is what we say, if do et Hashem bira, serve God with fear, gilu birada. But rejoice, rejoice with shaking. How can you rejoice with shaking? Shaking is fear, rejoice is happiness. Yes, it's no contradiction. Rejoice that I have the merit to stand in front of you, the great God, and talk to you. Of course I'm happy. At the same time, I'm shaking. I'm shaking. Well, it's nothing to talk about, of course. Even if the big judge in the Supreme Court is your uncle, nobody knows. You came in front of him and he's judging you now. You know he's your uncle. He's going to find a way to send you free. Still fear, still shake. Wow, the court is the judge. Look how everyone respects him. You have this fear, even though you're happy, very happy, you got lucky. Your friends from school is the judge or whatever. 
Then Ezra, Ezra, Ezra Sofer, this is what he says. Eloi boshti v'nichlamti l'arim, Eloi panai elecha. God, I'm so ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you. You know what the, the sad thing is? If we say that, it's 100% true. This is Ezra. Ezra, you know who was Ezra? It's an angel is a puppet compared to him in his level. This is the one who started the, the, the creation of the second temple. Ezra Sofer means every word in the Torah, I can tell you how many times it's there. Every letter, every time, every word you ask, right away it tells you how many times. It's a very holy man, yeah, the holiest in the land. And what does he say? I'm so ashamed that I cannot even pick my eyes up. I want to hide my face. I bury my face in the ground. People who used to come to the stipler, the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, did not dare to pick their head up. They knew he has a vision. He looks at your forehead. He knows your sins. So either they came with their head down or they put their head down. Yeah, you know? So this is what he says. I'm so embarrassed, I cannot pick my face up. But this fear starts in the heart, the Ramchal say. It doesn't, it's not a show. You pretend from the outside that you're scared. It has to start from the heart, and later it affects all the body. The eyes, the steps, the walking, the behaving. It starts in the heart, that's the root. If there's no fear in the heart, there's nothing. And the last thing for today, and it says like this, the kavod, the respect. It's very important when a person does a mitzvah, if he can afford it, even if it's hard a little bit, to do it the best way. You have a few pairs of tefillin, go for the best one. You don't have what to eat, you don't have what to eat, do the minimum, fine, as long as it's kosher. You have, you have some money on the side, you can afford, go for the best one. Talit, good quality, bad quality, get the best one. Sefer Torah, you want to finally donate Sefer Torah to the shul or to the yeshiva. There's one $20,000, one $30,000. The 30000 is much, much nicer. Much nice, nothing to compare. You can afford, do it, do it right. You can afford, do the minimum, fine. You can afford, do it the best way. Why? Especially when you're very generous when it comes to nonsense. You come to order your new Lexus, beginning price 40,000. But sunroof, three more thousand, put it in. Stereo, special systems, you know, whatever, all these names that they have. Eight more thousand, put it in. Leather or regular? Of course leather. Five more thousand, put it in. Oh, all of a sudden it became 80. 40, in a commercial it's 40. Put this, put that, special tires, this, like this, shiny, not. Another 40. So if it comes to nonsense, you're very generous. For your convenience, for your, you know, comfortable uh, situation. And it comes to mitzvot, it's needless to say. If you're afraid to eat, because it's so stingy, we understand why you want the, the cheapest mezuzot. Okay, you also don't want to eat. You don't care about your health, because you're so stingy, fine. At least, Hashem knows it's your nature. But when it comes to nonsense, 
give me that, give me that, put this chandelier, do that, the air condition like this, no, put stronger, that. God forbid, it won't be 100% like he like. But it comes to the Rabbi, my son is bar mitzvah, I have the cheapest, what's the cheapest? Kosher, good. Moshe, you see, I got you kosher tefillin. Two or three more hundred dollars more, it would be much better for the next 30 years. Doesn't care. Why? So that's what I'm saying. If it's a person who doesn't have, doesn't have, do what you must do, that's it. But if you have, make sure your mitzvot are beautiful. Are beautiful. Tzitzit Sefer Torah Lulav You have a lulav, a trog. can buy for $40, yeah. Kruke, this, that, barely kosher. You have a lot of money, you have millions of dollars, or hundreds of thousands of dollars, or even tens of thousands of dollars. You don't want to spend another hundred dollars once a year to get a nice set. So this is an example of a person that will spend money on nonsense. The best restaurant, this, that, pay double here, that, special chef, somebody from Japan, because of his name, $300. But it comes to the most important thing in life. Rabbi, believe me, it's all the same. Yeah, you're ignorant, that's why it's all the same. Not two surgeons are the same. One is very good, one can kill you. Pay a little more, you get a better doctor. So you may say, wait a minute, who cares? If I have to die, I die anyway. Wrong. Because a person is obligated to protect his life in any possible way. Only, Hashem will only protect you in a miracle on things that you are not aware of the danger. There's an epidemic, you don't know, you went to a place, and you trust Hashem always with, with the health, you pray to Him, and you didn't have a way to protect yourself, He will protect you by a miracle. But if you knew that place has a danger over there, and you went there anyway, you had to protect yourself. You didn't, you can die. You can get sick. And if Hashem still needs you here, and He was forced to save you, He'll take away from your mitzvot, from your reward. It's not for free. So remember the rule. If you are aware of the danger, you must protect yourself. Well, Hashem always helps. But you have to do whatever necessary steps to protect your health. And if you didn't know, then you have to only rely on Hashem. There's nothing else you can do. You're not aware of what's happening. There's so many dangers out there. We, we get saved from by Hashem saving us thousands of times an hour from so many things out there. If you only knew, only knew how many things you get saved from, you have no idea. So, yeah, from that Hashem saved. But from what is already pub, published, it's published. There's, this area is terrorism and danger and the shooting and bombs every minute. Why are you moving there? Do you want to make money? So you die. So you come in front of Hashem and say, well, it's not fair. I trusted you. Why you didn't save me? I went to Iraq over there. I wanted to sell some diamonds. Now they blew me up. Hashem said, you fool. Why you went to Iraq? You don't know that every minute there's a bomb there? Go to Iraq. Maybe an atomic bomb will fall on you. We are in front of very critical days. It's, we're laughing, but who knows what's going to be any minute. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yoshua says, The highest possibility, probability, of having a salvation during the year, it's on Nisan. The holiday of Nisan, we are in Nisan, Pesach. Same salvation with miracles. Who knows the next thing you find out? There's an attack. 
we can be sitting in Lela Seder, by the time Yom Tov will be finished, it could be half of the world is burning. Who knows? There's no way to know. We're laughing now, we're planning. Maybe Mashiach comes and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. 